Um, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to be in the first 15 verses. And stand with me, if you are able, for the reading of God's Word. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers and sisters, still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who would unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word stands forever. Let's pray. Lord, I ask um, that your Holy Spirit would come and move here now today in this place as you did those many years ago at Pentecost. Um, would you fill all of us? Would you open our hearts and open our ears? Would you illuminate your word? Um, would you do a special work in us and allow us to understand it? Allow us to understand what this means, what it meant to the Galatians, and what it means for us here today. What it means about the gospel and how we can be more like your son, Jesus. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. You can be seated. Now... Too often when we think about the word freedom, we end up picturing our American culture's ideas of freedom. Right? We think about the 4th of July, we think about soldiers, but instead what we really should be doing this morning is I think we need to think about what the Bible says about gospel freedom. We need to think more about the cross than the American flag. And we have to be more formed by the Bible ultimately than even our culture around us. Because the freedom that comes from the gospel, the freedom that comes from Jesus, is much sweeter and much greater and much better than any freedom this world has to offer us. And the freedoms that come from the blood of Jesus are greater than the freedoms given to us by the Constitution. But there are things that can hinder our gospel freedom. And these are things that we need to be on the lookout for. We need to be on guard against. And what we'll see this morning as we look at some of these hindrances is that the hindrances to our gospel freedoms are not oppressive governments or unjust laws, biased courts or tyrannical rulers. The free, the, these hindrances to our freedoms that Paul mentions here are much more insidious and they're in every culture and they're even in ourselves. So we're going to look at three hindrances of gospel freedom if you're taking notes in your bulletin. And the first hindrance that we'll see is legalism. We see that gospel freedom is hindered by legalism. 
Paul makes this clear right again in verse 1, which we read last week as well. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So Paul set us free. Or not Paul, God set us free. And Jesus sent us free from the grip of the law. From the grip of legalism, from the grip of having to follow these things. And God wants us to be free. If he didn't want us to experience the freedom of the gospel, he wouldn't have set us free in the first place. He would have left us stuck in our slavery. So therefore, right, there's this therefore that's in the middle of that. So based on the fact that Christ has set us free and wants us to be free, how should we live? Well, we should stand firm. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't go and be slaves to the law. Don't go and be slaves to legalism all over again. Paul reiterates that strictly trying to follow the law of Moses, demanding that everyone follows the law, requiring that people obey every single commandment or obey the other commandments that aren't in the Bible exactly the way that you see them, that's slavery. It opposes freedom. And that the Galatians and we cannot and should not embrace the law, and that can't happen without losing the very freedom that Jesus has given you. And he goes on to say in verse 2, Look, I, I, Paul, I say to you, this is him in his apostolic authority, I say, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Because accepting circumcision, that's the main marker of embracing the law. It's the circumcision was the primary marker in the Old Testament of being a member of the community of God. You can't follow the law unless you're circumcised. It was step one for Israelite men. If you try and follow any of it and you're not circumcised, you've, you've missed it. You're in trouble. This is why Paul so often talks about circumcision. Why it's the main thing because it is kind of the flagship or the main idea behind the law. It's a catch-all way to refer to it. And it probably was the main point of contention between the Galatians and between these Judaizers who were there trying to trap them in this legalism. And Paul warns them that if you accept circumcision, you're, it's the wrong move. That by accepting it, and by accepting it, what Paul means, and he's saying, if you accept circumcision, he means, if you do this thinking, you've got to do this to please God. If you do this thinking, I have to be circumcised in order to be saved, then you've missed it. And he warns them and says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. In verse 3, Christ will be of no advantage to you. It's a bad move. If you submit to the law, if you submit to the knife, Christ can't help you anymore. At the final judgment seat, Christ won't come to their aid. He's not going to intercede on their behalf to declare them righteous. Instead, they're going to have to appeal and point to their own circumcision and say, hey, this is why I should be saved. Look at me. When they stand before God at the end of time, they can try and say, well, I deserve to be saved, Jesus. I've been circumcised. Look at me. I kept the law. So Paul says, no, that's, that ain't going to help you. It's a trap, and he, he tells it's further of a trap because I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision, he is obligated to keep the whole law. You don't get to pick and choose. If you submit to circumcision, you are enslaved and trapped in legalism. You've got to follow all of it, every single one. You don't get to pick and choose which part of the law that you like, and I'll submit to this, and I don't like that, I won't submit to this. No, no, no. You've got to keep all of it and see if you can perfectly. And this is why we, we are supposed to resist and we shouldn't submit even one inch to legalism. To the, not just the, the law, the legalism that the Judaizers were trying to put on the Galatians, but those who would put legalism on us today. 
Because when you give even a small amount, you are putting yourself in chains again and you are losing the freedom that God has given you in the gospel. And so we have to stand firm. Let me give you just kind of a pretty ridiculous example here um, that might help. But let's say somebody comes and tells you, you know, Christians really should only read the Bible. Right? There's too many other books out there and they're all bad. And so really the Bible is the most important. You don't read it enough anyway. So stop reading other books and read the Bible only. Just get rid of everything. So you accept that and think, okay, well, that's good. I don't really read that many other books anyway. So this seems like an easy one for me to follow. So you get really proud and you only read your Bible. You throw away your other books, get them out of your house, even the ones that are de just decorations. After all, some of those books might tell you you're wrong anyway and you should read other things. But so you do that. Then you die and you go and you face judgment and standing before God at the judgment seat, you say, well, you know what, Jesus, I think I should be saved because I only ever read the Bible. I didn't even read other books. I didn't even read what other pastors or theologians said. I just read what you said, Jesus. Look at that. And what God might say to you is, okay, well, you want to be justified based on your perfection? Okay, let's check. Let's see how well you did on everything else. So you want to justify yourself? Let's go through all the other areas of your life and let's see how you stack up there as well. And what you'll find is... You're not perfect. You're much more sinful than you could have imagined. When we embrace legalism, it forces us to follow the whole law. It forces you to try and be perfect and earn your salvation that way. And it, in verse 4, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Because legalism, it seeks its justification through perfection, through works, through obedience, but in doing that, it severs you from Christ. It, removes, it leads you far away from grace, and ultimately, you're just depending on yourself for salvation. Beloved, there's only one way to be justified. It's not through the law. It's not through your goodness. It's not through your ability to obey. It is only through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. That is the only way. Do not submit to legalism. It's a trap. It's a hindrance to your freedom. It, it will bleed you in chains. Now, we might wonder this phrase, you're severed from Christ, if that means you can lose your salvation. Because it almost sounds that way. These, there are several statements and verses Paul has in this section that are very extreme. And it almost seem kind of bizarre. And on the surface, it can seem like maybe that's what Paul is saying. But to be perfectly clear, no, I don't think that you can lose your salvation. Um, I think your salvation is entirely dependent on Jesus and the blood of Christ. Um, you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. So I don't think you can do anything to lose it. Right? But Paul isn't focused here in the context. What's the context he's talking about? He's not talking about your security of salvation. Um, he's talking about the gospel and distortions of the gospel. That's kind of been what he's been doing as we've been going through Galatians, is looking at all the ways they're distorting it. And so what he's trying to say is you cannot embrace circumcision. You can't embrace the law and think that you're saved. And think that that is the way that you are going to get to be with Jesus. You have fallen away from grace. You are walking away and leaving the grace of Jesus behind and you're believing in something else. You're believing that that is what will justify you. And ultimately, legalism believes that it will be justified by good works. It doesn't seek its justification in Jesus, but in itself, in its own goodness. So this isn't about a Christian losing salvation. It's about somebody who really just doesn't believe the gospel. They're proving they don't believe the gospel by losing their freedom and submitting to legalism. And Paul is using this extreme language to try and warn them, 
to shake them and wake them up. He wants them to know. Paul is saying, hey, if you get circumcised, I'm not sure that I can confidently say you're a Christian anymore. Because this is not the behavior of somebody who believes the gospel. And this is held in contrast to those who put their faith in Jesus in verse 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Right? Our faith does not come through the law. It doesn't come through our own obedience, but it comes through the Spirit. Through the aid of the Holy Spirit. He's the way that we believe anyway, and it, was, it is by faith. It's not by the law. It's not by ourselves that it comes through the Spirit by faith. And we ourselves, we are eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. This is one of my favorite verses in this whole section. It is we are eagerly anticipating and waiting. And this phrase, eagerly wait, is used kind of throughout the Bible. And every time it pops up, it's used to describe those who are waiting for the end. It is an eschatological or an end times hope and wait. It is waiting for the return of Jesus for the one who is our hope, that we are counting down and checking our calendars like a child waiting for Christmas. We eagerly are looking forward to it. It, it is somebody who even looks up into the sky periodically just to see if the army of Jesus has gathered and is getting ready to ride across the sky because they just can't wait. And so what is it that we're waiting for? We are waiting for the hope of our righteousness. This is the only hope that we have for salvation, and that is in Jesus. I think again of the, the first question of the Heidelberg Catechism. You know, what is our only hope in life and death? So we are not our own, but belong to God. What is our hope? Our hope is Jesus. That's our only hope. It's our only hope here now, and it's the only hope when we're dead and in the ground. And so we eagerly wait for that hope. We don't hope in the law. We don't hope in ourselves. We don't hope in our goodness. We put our hope in Jesus. In verse 6, it tells us, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Our hope, we put our hope in Christ because legalism gains us nothing. Submitting and letting it hinder our freedom, following the chains of the law, it only leads us in bondage. But also, he says that uncircumcision counts for nothing. So not following the law, that doesn't guarantee you salvation either. It's not a question of do you keep these rules or do you not keep these rules. It is only faith, only faith working through love. It is only faith in Jesus Christ. It is faith that is filled with a love for Jesus. It is faith that is filled with a love for Jesus that spills out for your love for others. And so we have to resist um, the chains of legalism because it steals the basis of our hope. It doesn't just ruin and take your freedom away. It takes your hope away. And instead of putting your faith in the blood of Jesus to forgive your sins, legalism puts faith in your ability to not sin, which seems like a foolish place to put your faith. I'm not willing to do that because I know how often I sin. Maybe you think you're much better than me. Take good luck. I'd rather put my faith in Jesus. So this is our, our first hindrance, right, that we need to resist the chains of legalism so we can, be enjoy, so we can stay free and so we can enjoy salvation. But those chains, right, they don't just magically appear on our wrists. Um, there are those who actively work to enslave us. And so this brings us the second hindrance to the gospel. The second hindrance is that gospel freedom is hindered by legalists. Gospel freedom is hindered by 
legalist. It's not just the chains of legalism that we are set free from, but we also need to resist and stop listening to those legalists who would put them back on you, who would try and tell you, don't look to Jesus, look to yourself. Here, look to this. You need to do this instead. You know, last week I mentioned or in, with Paul that legalists really are persecutors of the faith. As they are going, they want everyone to be in chains like they are. They want to bind your conscience. And so Paul is talking about these legalists, and he asks about them in verse 7. Well, hey, you were running well. Who hindered you? Who hindered you from obeying the truth? You can almost hear his kind of gentle disappointment and bewilderment. He's saying, guys, you were doing so well. You were running the race. You were running it just as God wanted you to, but you've been hindered. What, what happened here? And there's some funny wordplay that's actually going on here. Um, in, in the Greek word for hindered in this, you know, who hindered you from running well. The NIV translated it as who cut in on you, um, which, is, which is pretty good. It gets close. Because um, he's continuing this metaphor of the race. Like you were running well. And what he's saying, and what the Greek word here is, this is somebody who kind of cuts you off. Who gets in front of you and then slows down. So that you can't go fast anymore. Somebody who, who gets there and hinders your progress. Picture an Olympic runner. Right, who's doing well and they're ahead of everybody and kind of as laps are going on, they're just making gains and making gains and maybe they're even starting to lap people. And then somebody sees them who's getting ready to get lapped and gets upset and so they cut in front of them and slow down to try and keep them from, from running well because they're not running well and I don't want you to run well either. That's what Paul is saying here. They're hindering you and slowing your progress. This is what the legalists are doing to the Galatians. They're not helping you. They're not cheering you on. They're not making you run better. They are keeping you from running the way that God wanted you to run. They're hindering your freedom. You know, instead of doing well, your faithfulness is fading. And it's fading because they're not recognizing that the person in front of them is slowing them down, not helping them run faster. I mean, have any of you ever celebrated um, when another car cut you off? Right? Maybe you're going fast on 35, but a semi gets right in front of you and then slows way down. It's going 10 miles under the speed limit. And there's another semi, so you know, kind of, well, I'm going to be here a while. And your response there is probably, you know, it's definitely never been to curse or to pout or to get disappointed. It's probably been to go, woohoo! Yes! I was really hoping I could go slower today. This is just what I wanted. I, I, I hope that, you know, once I get past here, I hope everybody just keeps cutting me off. That would just make this drive so filled with joy and, and wonder. But Paul's like, well, this is what you Galatians are doing. People are cutting you off. They are ruining your faith. And you're just sitting there thinking, woohoo, yes, this is the best. I love the law. I love legalism. Legalists are great. Say, what are you doing? They are hindering your freedom. They are ruining it. They are ruining your race. Who is doing this to you? And he makes it clear in verse 8, because apparently the Galatians don't understand that this is bad, and says, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. It says, this is not from Jesus. This is not from God. They are not giving you godly advice. They are not helping you. They are not making you better Christians. This is not from God. This persuasion is from men. And men only. And because it's not from God, you don't need to listen to it. Pass them. Keep running. In verse 9, he alludes to the law again in his statement of, you know, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Because leaven in the Bible is usually symbolic of sin. And about how just a little bit gets in and it ruins and it corrupts everything. You can't just have a little bit of sin and be okay and be justified. And so Paul's implication is that the legalists are the ones who are actually the leaven. 
They're the ones that are in, who have infected the Galatians church and should be removed and cut out. And he's encouraging them to reject these legalists in verse 10. For I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, which is Paul's view and God's view and the view of the letter of Galatians, and that you will do this and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty. So we're sure they're going to listen to his letter, get rid of these legalists. And he's also sure that God's penalty and last judgment will come against these Judaizers. These legalists who are troubling and hindering the faith of their fellow believers. Those who persecute the faith. Those who harm churches. Those who split the community of God. Those who are forcing young believers to embrace their rules. Those who turn away unbelievers because then they think, well, Christianity is just about doing and not doing other things. I don't know about that. Those legalists will not escape the judgment of God when he returns. Those who have turned people away from faith in Jesus and into faith in themselves will find their just reward. And so we can and we should resist them knowing that God will deal with them even if we're not able to on this side of eternity. And then Paul, again, he brings up the persecution that he mentioned at the end of um, chapter 4 and verse 11. And he says, but brothers, I still, or if brothers and sisters, I still preach circumcision, why am I being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So the circumcision party, right, they're probably trying to convince the Galatians that Paul agrees with them. Oh, no, 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 Paul still thinks you guys should be circumcised. He preaches this. Now, we don't know this for sure, right, because we're only hearing Paul's argument in God's word. We're not hearing what these legalists had to say in their elaborate arguments, which is good because some might fall for them again. But it seems like they are trying to put words in Paul's mouth. And Paul's trying to make it clear, no, 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 no. I do not preach circumcision. It says, I don't preach the knife of Abraham. I preach the cross of Christ. I preach salvation through grace alone and the salvation that came from the crucified God on Golgotha. And Paul says the cross is offensive, and it's offensive because it implies there's nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. Nothing at all. Only Jesus' his death could do that. You can't wash away your sins without the blood of Jesus. There is not enough bleach in the world. Only God can make you white as snow. And the circumcision party, they don't really like the gospel. That's why they're persecuting the Galatians. That's why they're persecuting Paul. They're opposing the cross, and they're opposing the gospel. And he has some really strong words here. Um, if you didn't catch it in verse 12, he says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Maybe your translation has something different. It's really kind of the, the nicest way they could do that. So what does that mean? Well, the word for emasculate, too, in the Greek, it means mutilate. But it means to mutilate completely and to make yourself a eunuch. So what Paul is saying is, well, you're such big fans of circumcision, well, you should just keep cutting and go all the way. Because that's really what you're doing, is you are just mutilating yourself. You are not pleasing God. He's saying the circumcision of the law isn't worth anything at all. There is no difference between being circumcised and becoming a eunuch. They're the same, is what Paul says. He's dismissing them as ext crazy extremists. Who are out of their minds. We should just resist and ignore these fools. That's what Paul does there. And so, you know, what about us? You know, I think we too, we need to resist the legalists who appear among us. Now, there are legalists all over the place, on every 
stripe, even those who are not believers, you will notice they are often legalists about their list of rules that you should and shouldn't follow. But what we need to do is we need to resist those who hinder our faith. Often I've noticed too, I've noticed this even among Christians um, who go and who post all sorts of crazy things on social media about what people should and shouldn't do. It ends up just being a bunch of legalism. Of here, I can't believe people aren't following my rules. This isn't clear in God's word, but I really think everyone should do this. How could you not do this like me? Not anything from scripture, not anything from Jesus, not even just stuff from church tradition, often just random opinions that we have formed from somewhere. But beloved, Jesus has set us free from the law. He set us free from legalism. He set us free from legalists. We're not required to follow anyone's rules. We're required to follow Jesus. And so if you think you might be falling into legalism, there's plenty of ways to resist, as Paul calls us over to. Stand firm. Do not submit. Do all these things. Well, how can we resist? Well, first of all, remember the gospel. Go back and remember how in the world we got saved in the first place. We were not saved through circumcision. We were not saved through obedience. We weren't saved through keeping a good list. We were saved by putting our faith in Jesus and begging for mercy and salvation with the words like a child, Jesus, please save me. And he does. The other place to run is to run to God's word. Read it. Somebody gives you some rules they think you should follow. Ask them, well, where do you get that? What verses are you pulling from? Okay, let's go study that together. Let me see. Let's see if, if that really is in there. Because if God really does command a certain behavior or action, it'll be obvious. Or you'll be able to see, well, is this clear? Is this universal? Is this for everybody? Or is this an area where Christians are free to disagree about how we apply the wisdom of this place? And don't just read it by yourself either. Read it in community. Seek out other believers and friends who read the scripture together. Go look in church history. See if there's believers who have gone before us. They've wrestled with it. They had Bibles too. What did they think about that? Ask me. Ask one of the elders. We don't have to do this stuff on our own. And we, in fact, we need each other. Because when we stay by ourselves, we don't always tend towards Jesus. We tend elsewhere. You know, I'm reading through um, Pilgrim's Progress right now in a book club. And, it's a, and if you're not familiar with it, um, somehow it's an allegorical story. It's about a man named Christian who is heading towards the heavenly city. So it's all just about you know, our Christian life. And the last chapter, we're not very far yet. Um, I haven't read it since I was a kid, so don't spoil, you know, the ending for me. I really hope he makes it. Um, but Christian gets some advice from Mr. Worldly Wise, and he's told, man, this path you're heading towards is really hard. You should go see Mr. Legality's house. He's got a much better way. He has a good way to deal with your burden of sin. He's just got a couple rules you can follow, and it's really going to help. And so it's kind of interesting because the evangelist goes and he finds Christian on the way and he really warns him in incredibly strong terms. And the allegory of the story almost disappears for a couple pages and John Bunyan gets into preaching mode and just goes off on the dangers and the horribleness of legalism. And it was funny in my book club, somebody was mentioning it like, wow, this seems kind of out of nowhere. Like, man, this is so weird that just legalism is so crazy and so dangerous. Not only didn't seem that crazy to me, just because we've been studying Galatians for the past several weeks, and Paul seems to think the same. And Christian, he's warned by Lelis, don't even think about setting foot near him. Don't go near his house. Don't go talk to him. Don't go anywhere near there. It will kill you. Stay far away from that. And then that chapter, it ends up quoting Galatians extensively, especially Galatians chapter 4. Because John Bunyan understood Galatians and the danger that Paul was warning about. That legalists are not people that we should mess with. They're not people that we should spend our time with, that we should listen to. We should heed the warnings and be terrified to get too close. 
because they might distort the gospel, might take our freedom and make us lose it. And so we resist legalism and we should resist legalists and don't even listen to them and embrace the freedom of the gospel. Now, the first two points really have kind of been about the, the hindrance of legalism and legalistic people, but Paul shifts gears in verses 12 through 15 to actually talk about some of the danger of freedom itself. And so the third and final and most significant hindrance, I think, is really from ourselves that our gospel freedom is hindered by self-centeredness. That our gospel freedom is hindered by self-centeredness or our selfishness. And Paul wants the Galatians to understand that it's not just that legalism is a hindrance to your gospel freedom. Because, you know, you would believe, right, or, or we would, that, well, really legalism is the biggest hindrance. And, and rules and, and free, that's the only thing that can hurt freedom. But Paul will even here says it seems like freedom itself can be a problem if we don't understand it rightly. And so how does he say this? Well, look at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. He reminds them again that the gospel freedom is the focus of this section, but the warnings in the rest of your verse. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So our freedom is not even for ourselves. Our freedom isn't even just for us to enjoy and to celebrate and feel great about. Our freedom is actually for other people. And the danger is that if we start to just think about ourselves only, and we're not considering others anymore, that we can become too self-centered. And this, this is the world's view of freedom, right? Because the world just wants to be free from everyone and everything. It is just about me and what I want and my dreams and where my heart wants me to be. And we want to be free to do whatever we want to do and go wherever we want to go and, and be anything we want to be. And don't you dare tell me what I can and can't do. If we're not careful, even as Christians, we buy into that lie that, well, Jesus came, so then I can do whatever I want to do and be whatever I want to be. But no, Paul warns us, do not use your freedom as an opportunity from the flesh. This kind of freedom will come and say, well, yes, you're free from the law. You're free from legalism. Now you can do whatever you want to do and just, you know, kind of worship Jesus too, if you would like. That's not the picture of biblical freedom because biblical gospel freedom, it is not self-focused. It's actually other-focused. It's focused on how we use it for others. And we follow the example of our Savior who gave up all of his freedom to serve, to love, and to save Sinners like you and me. So practically, what does this mean? Well, it, it paradoxically you know, kind of means that our gospel freedom is hindered when we care more about our freedom than we do about other people. When we're only concerned about ourselves, we miss the point of why God gave it to us in the first place. We are given freedom through love to serve one another. The purpose of our freedom should be so that we can go and love each other and love others well. It is to be served. It, it is not for us to be served. It's not for us to be loved. It's not even for us to just be free and bask in it by ourselves. It is to go and to serve and to love one another. Instead, we use this freedom for God. That's what the Judaizers have forgotten was the whole point of the law anyway. That's why he tells them, the whole point of the law, it is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. That is the way that it is supposed to be. The purpose of the law and of freedom is for us to love each other, to love God and to love one another. And that if we love others more than ourselves, we'll actually care more about their freedom than our own. We'll actually care more about their souls than our own rights or what we can and can't do. 
We'll care about their well-being more than ours. We'll love them more than we love ourselves. But the warning comes again in 15. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another. And the consume there, it really is annihilate. And the danger is that we can just use our freedom to fight with each other and destroy each other and completely wipe each other in the church out. Because we're self-centered instead of other-centered. You know, this can say, well, hey, we're free to disagree in Christ, so let's, let's disagree, let's argue, let's fight, let's get into it, let's bite each other, let's beat each other up, let's do that. That sounds really fun, but Paul warned, you know, watch out. You know, it's this reversal. Instead of loving one another, you're consuming one another. You're eating each other totally up. Our selfish use of freedom, it, it can annihilate and destroy the body of Christ. And so our, our guiding question when it comes to matters of Christian freedom, not legalism, what we can do, what we want to do, it shouldn't just be, well, what am I allowed to do? It should be, well, how can I love my neighbors? What does Jesus let me do? And then how can I best love Jesus and love those that Jesus has put in my life? We spent a lot of time talking about this. If you were here when we went through 1 Corinthians, because Paul repeatedly hits um, this talk up of freedom with the, the weaker and the stronger brothers. And Paul doesn't say, hey, make sure you don't hinder anybody's freedom ever. And where he gives himself as an example and he lists all the freedoms and all the reasons that he has rights to be paid as a gospel minister. And then he says, and I'm giving it all up because I don't want to hinder anybody. Because the gospel is more important than my freedom. Let me give you another goofy example. Um, you know, I was a bit of a rebellious pastor's kid. You know, not like true rebellious pastor's kid, just more of like annoying um, rebellion. Um, you know, so one of the ways that I rebelled um, sometimes was by wearing my pajamas to church. Did that fairly often. So as you can imagine, my mom didn't appreciate that very much. Okay, especially, and she clearly stated her opposition to my behavior often. But uh, it didn't stop me. Why? Well, because I was being rebellious. But also, I really loved my biblical gospel freedom that I'd been given by God. And so I appealed to God's word because that's you know, the kind of rebellious kid I was. Um, so I would, every time she would complain, I'd ask for a chapter and verse that told me I couldn't wear my pajamas to church. And I would quote and say, well, it says that God looks at the heart. Man looks at outward appearance. Mom, sounds like you're being pretty sinful and worldly. You should, you're probably the one who needs to repent. <laughs> sounds like everybody else is wrong, too. I, I'm just trying to submit to God's word and, and follow it. So even if I was playing up on the worship team on stage, there I would be in my slippers, um, just worshiping Jesus. Now... Was I free to wear whatever I wanted to church? Yeah. Are you, know, are, are you was my salvation in doubt? I mean, maybe because of my sinful attitude. Uh, but does God give us a clear dress code that we should post on the door to make sure and check people and, you know, have jackets ready to give them if they're not, you know, properly in the right attire? No. And if you came in pajamas next week, maybe anybody except for Rob, you know, I'll celebrate. Say, yeah, you got gospel freedom to do that. Okay, but the question isn't just, well, am I allowed to do this? The question should be, is this loving? Does this love my neighbors for me to do this? Does this am I loving my neighbors more than I love my own freedom or not? No, because it was unloving. It was selfish and even sinful, I think, now, because I cared more about my own freedom and what I wanted to do than I did about loving other people. Now, again, I still think I'm free to wear pajamas to church, though I'm probably not going to do that. Um, why? Well, because I care about you more than I care about what I think God lets me wear. That's really not that important to me anymore. Christians, we have to care more about other people than we do ourselves. 
We, and don't let your freedom be self-centered only. It needs to be other-centered as well. So we talked about three hindrances to gospel freedom. There's legalism, legalists, and then really our selfishness. So, beloved, don't, don't be hindered. Be free. Run the race that God has set before you. Don't let others cut you off. And also don't cut others off with ridiculous uses of your freedom like me. Let's bow our heads in prayer and I'll invite our worship team to come up and lead us in song one more time. God, I thank you for the freedom that you have given us in the gospel. Lord, that you broke the chains of not just the law, but you broke the chains of sin. Lord, that we are not dead and trapped in our sins forever anymore, but you have set us free. Lord, we are free to embrace the gospel and to embrace you. Lord, would you help us to stay free? Would you help us to stand firm in our freedom? Would you help us to not submit to the chains that others' legalism would put on us or that the legalism that we would try sometimes when we become the legalists to put on others? And Lord, would you help us to not hinder others' freedom in the gospel by abusing our freedom selfishly? Lord, we want to be a people who are formed by your word. We want to be a people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be a people who look and act like Jesus. So Lord, teach us, help us. Help us to to stay free and help us to use our freedom as Jesus did. As you would. Lord, would we be more and more like your son every day. We pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Why don't you stand as we worship um, our Savior through song one more time. I'm glad we stopped there. That's about as fast as I can go. (laughs) Um, But I hope you you are filled with the joy of God and you leave this place um, joyful. Hear this benediction from the end of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, dominion, authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. God bless you.